Hello, everybody. This is my Seattle mixtape, the podcast where we talk about albums from the 80s and 90s from the Seattle scene. Pick an album, we pick a song from that album and argue about it and figure out which one will go on our own personal mixtape. I'm Zachary Johnston. I am David Gordon. And this week we are talking about Tad. But firstly, congratulations on remembering how to do that. <laughs> It's It's been a while. It's been a while. To quote Stained. Yeah, I almost don't remember what this podcast is. And uh, Who are you again? Exactly. Yeah, we are finally back and uh, we are ready to talk about the wonderful metal band Tad. I don't know if you call this a grunge band per se. It's definitely from the era, obviously. They toured with Soundgarden. I think it has some of the, the classic elements. I think we've already established that no one really knows what that means anyway, so... Well, I used to say it was punk plus metal equals grunge. Yeah. But, uh, there's no real punk here. I think there's a little bit. There's a tad. A tad. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Bravo, David. The Bravo. first of many. Uh, no, we'll just do one of those. Yeah, so anyway, but we're talking about Eight Way Santa this week, which is a controversial album for several odd reasons that aren't really about the music so much. I mean, yeah. the cover art was controversial even though it was pretty innocuous even for the time there's songs that they were sued over because they used the word pepsi but that Um, was also another cover art issue then as well because the cover of the single had the pepsi logo and so this is the song we opened the show with jack pepsi which is obviously copyright infringement which you think they would have figured that out at sub pop before they put the fucking song out well, I mean, this is what we know and love about Sub Pop, is that they weren't necessarily always clued in, were they? You know, like, Pepsi? Pepsi? <laughs> I still think they just thought that, like, we're... Small enough. We're the small thing up in the Pacific Northwest. Nobody, like, further away than Oregon cares what we're doing, and... But see, there's a Pepsi factory in Tacoma, Washington... And so (laughs) there's Pepsi reps right there in town that would have heard this shit on the radio. Right. There's a lot of uh, gray area in the history of Sub Pop from this era, which uh, caused a lot of odd things to happen. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of those things that happened to Tad on this album kind of held them back and didn't, you know, help propel them as much as they, I believe, should have been. Sure. I mean, this is the thing. If you're listening along to all of the episodes and if you're familiar with the genre, you'll know there's four or five bands that were huge. And then there's a lot of bands that that were not huge, that were influential and that certainly inspired loads of other bands, also bands outside the genre. Mudhoney were influential to Nirvana and to Screaming trees. everybody else, but they didn't enjoy anything like the commercial success that. Yeah, that's what's always sort of did. funny about Tad. I mean, they were on tour with Nirvana in Europe, and you know they were on tour with Soundgarden for Super Unknown. It's not like they weren't in the sphere, and mm. it's not like they weren't promoted enough to yeah. get out there. I mean, they were on stages and they were on tours, but it just never happened yeah i haven't done a scientific uh, study on it but i just don't know how much it really matters to the sales figures when somebody takes someone else on tour like right. me personally i've discovered tons of bands over the years that are now in my favorite bands that i saw as the support band for someone else's show that i went right. to see right. and like going back to the first big concert i ever went to which was metallica they brought corrosion of conformity on tour and Corrosion Conformity are one of my all-time favorite bands now because I saw them when I was 13. I remember years later I read some quote uh, from Lars Ulrich saying 
referencing this tour in 96 where Metallica was touring Load and Croatia Conformity had their uh, Wise Blood record out and uh, Lars said that they took them all around the world and their sales didn't increase like 1%. Now, that's probably Lars bullshitting. Like, I'm sure they did increase 1%, but they didn't increase significantly that, like, everybody in coaching conformity bought, like, Porsches and houses in Beverly Hills on the back of it. Well, right, because you kind of, that's got to be so exciting going out with fucking Metallica in the mid-90s thing. Like, yeah, we, we were about to make it. That's it, but like also Crucial Conformity, that stage has been around for like a long right. time. They're around since the early 80s, but you know? I think about, you know, Alice toured with Van Halen. Yeah. And they made it. Pearl Jam toured with Alice. They yeah, made okay. It. So like, yeah, I don't know. The exception yeah. proves the rule then. I don't know. But it's also like, does anybody remember the band who opened for the Beatles? Fuck no. Well, I don't because I wasn't there, <laughs> but. But that's also a thing yeah. where it's like they had a band who toured with them on all those huge worldwide tours. Did they? Yes. They had a band that toured with them and opened for them. Nobody remembers who the fuck they sure. are. I'd like to make a documentary about that band, personally, <laughs> because I think that's the only Beatles documentary that hasn't been made that might be interesting. If you're listening, Netflix. Or Apple, or Disney, or Amazon. Don't say Amazon. <laughs> oh, man. So before we get into the uh, the history of this album, David, when did you first uh, start listening to Tad? I first started listening to Tad in March of 2017. <laughs> oh, so, so you're a veteran then. <laughs> Yeah, when we first started talking about the podcast, I said, I'll check these guys out. Yeah, so I was never a fan back in the day. I probably did hear them because there's something familiar about them. I probably did hear them on this radio show, the metal show that I used to listen to on Sunday nights uh, on Irish national radio when I was a teenager. They sound like bands that I listen to. They actually really sound a lot like, particularly this album, uh, the Northern Irish band Therapy. I wouldn't make the argument that they're grunge, their earlier stuff was definitely punk meeting metal and then they went a bit more punk rock okay. after that. But their early 90s stuff is quite cutting edge of punk metal. Uh, particularly they have kind of a masterpiece album, Trouble Gum. And that actually sounds like this album a lot, even down to some of the vocals. And if you're listening and you haven't checked out Therapy, I recommend you start with uh, Trouble Gum. It's like a masterpiece of an album. They had a career in the UK and Ireland but they should have been bigger in the same way that Tad should have been bigger. And I think had I really been exposed to it back as a teenager, I think I would have loved Tad. Right. Listening to it now, it's a little difficult to really love it. That being said, there is great stuff on this. I think when we were first talking about starting this podcast, this was like one of the bands we knew we had to do. Yeah. They're like one of those bands that was just always right there around and like so many parts of this band are in other parts of the iconic grunge stuff. I mean, yeah. you, you hear a bit of Alice in there, you hear a bit of Soundgarden and Kim Tiles guitar in there, you hear a bit of Kurt in there even a little bit and, uh, you know, they were all friends and together anyway, to go touring and living and blah, blah, blah together. Yeah. I mean, Tad was even in uh, singles. Yeah, he was the best actor, <laughs> right. as we said in that early episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, with Mark. <laughs> right, and so it's this sort of thing where it's, they're such an important band to the era, in my opinion. Even though, at the time, they were on the fringe. I remember hearing Jinx, for sure, on the radio. I remember hearing Play Gears a bit, 3D Witch a bit. Um, Jack Pepsi, yeah, it's like a bar song that you play mm. when you're getting a little too drunk. But it's also like one of those songs that just reminded me of home a little too much. 
you know, they didn't have the airplay that Soundgarden or Alice had or any of those bands, you know. And it, They're not as radio friendly in, in that way as well. Like, I know that obviously Soundgarden and Alice get really heavy at times. They're really catchy, even when they're heavy. Yeah, this is not, we're not knocking it before we get into it. There's really super catchy stuff on 8-Way Santa. Yes, absolutely. But there is something else to it that makes it slightly more uneasy listening than the other stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say uneasy. I think listening to it, especially, you know, you listen to Jack Pepsi and, you know, tracks like that, it's like, it feels a bit more like you're in a dirty, sweaty club. That's where you should be listening to it, not on the radio in your car. Yeah. You know, not so much at home. Like, I listen to it while I work because this is such a fast, quick, tight album that, you know, boom, it's done. You're like, oh, shit, that was fun. That was a fun 40 minutes. Yeah. But it's just that sort of thing where it's like, man, I wish I had this in my life more back then. Anyway, do you want to walk us through some of uh, the details here? It was released February, the 1st of February, 1991. So again, it's another one that's right in there. Who produced this record? Butch Vig. Yeah. So Butch Vig produced this the same year that he produced Nevermind and Gish, which is amazing. Like What a year. Incredible. It's on Sub Pop, of course, probably to their detriment. And this is the thing. Like <laughs> I asked you earlier if they ever left Sub Pop and you said you thought they didn't. Now, we haven't checked it up in the meantime. You know, everybody who made it big left, left Sub Pop <laughs> at some point. Even Mudhoney had the sense to leave. <laughs> right. They came back, but like Tad, get in the time machine, go back and leave Sub Pop yeah. in 91. Yeah, take uh, that record deal in LA, guys. <laughs> go to Geffen and then <laughs> yeah. go back. Uh, and so it was recorded again in Wisconsin in uh, Smart Studios, which is Butch Vig's kind of home studio that he has. Yeah. Uh, not home studio, but it's his hometown, and that's where he worked out of at that time. Amazing albums made in that studio. Yeah, and it's where we talked about in the last episode where Polly was left over from that session, uh, even though the rest of Nevermind was recorded in Van Nuys. There you go. And so the band, if you've never heard of them before, so it began as a kind of a one-man show by Tad Doyle, who wrote and played everything on the earlier record. So they've added Gary Thorstenson on guitar, Kurt Danielson on bass, and Steve, I'm going to go with Wide on drums. If Veed. There's some good Scandinavian Wide. names there, aren't there? Yeah. Some uh, white boys from Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Unusually for this podcast. <laughs> well, it's sort of funny that uh, Tad sort of started the way, same exact way Foo Fighters started, with the, the lead vocalist doing everything on the first album. Yeah. I mean, like, oh, I can't tour with this or whatever, and getting a band together and it's sort of. Then the roads diverged. <laughs> Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, but in terms of commercial success, but yeah. I, th I think as Tad went on, it was still Tad Doyle's show, and Foo Fighters are onto their one millionth album now, and it's still <laughs> uh, Dave Grohl's show. Yeah, oh, definitely Dave. Okay, well, let's, shall we start listening to some of these tracks? Because I feel like uh, there's a lot to get through here that I really like. I don't know where to start, though. But I'm not sure either, but I feel we should skip to Delinquent. Okay, fair enough. Which I really like. Okay, so we're going to listen to Delinquent.
Welcome back, everybody. That was the Foo Fighters early track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is one of the, the cool things about it. I think it also sounds on the chorus and that, I guess, part of that outro, a little bit like Helmet. Never a massive yeah. fan, but it was, Definitely. there was Helmet tunes that I liked. This kind of horse singing almost. Almost say there's little screaming trees in there as well. Huh. Interesting. The melodic. Then the melody, for sure. Oh, God. I like, I think I'm being, like, as an Irish person, I'm showing my natural bias towards, like, an underdog and a sob story in kind of really liking this record. And I, I feel that I have more of a preference for the front half anyway, but I feel it's almost perfect for me. Yeah. And just every now and again, they just fell short ever so slightly. Yeah. And I wish they had done more of what Tad does with his vocals on that chorus from Delinquent if they had done more of that on the rest of the album. It does come up in other songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think that's better than I'm gonna raise hell till the Sandman comes. <laughs> have some fun till the Sandman comes. Like, that's a bit ever so slightly phoned in, you know? But what a fun band to be in. Like, what a great riff. Yeah, because they kind of have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Where they could be that sort of smooth, melodic poppy, but also get down and dirty and medley. I think it finds a nice balance in the two. I mean, do you want to just put this song on the tape and just call it a day? <laughs> no, because I, th- I think it's not the best song no, on the no, album, no. but it is one of my favorites. And I think, um, I mean, we're talking about 13 tracks here, and I think the first four are not 24 karat gold, but like... 22.5. Yeah. What should we listen to next? I'm happy to listen to Hedgehog or Flame Tavern. I mean, I'm I'm good to go through them, man. I well, love- which one is is this like a 30 second joke song as well? Is that Hedgehog? No. Or it's like don't put a- me on the spot, David. Damn it. We were smoking weed and then <laughs> I barfed in a bag and then you drove out to your that one. <laughs> I mean, it's basically just a diary entry from a teenager in Washington State in 1990. <laughs> basically, yes. Or also, there's that famous story where uh, when they're on tour with Nirvana in Europe. Tad used to get car sick constantly and always throw up in a bucket. And then Dave Grohl would say he would wake up and see Kurt just like staring at Tad's vomit. Jesus. Like studying it. And Dave would just be like, what are you doing? That's where (laughs) the album art from Incesticide came from, right? Probably, yes. I'm sure there's more to that story that I'm forgetting, but uh, Kurt was sort of obsessed with Tad's vomit. So maybe that's a callback to uh, that as well. I don't know. Let's listen to Hedgehog. <laughs> I think you're on something there. I think we should dig deeper on this. <laughs> dig deeper into Tad's vomit and Kurt, and Kurt Cobain's obsession with Pull said that vomit. Thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why that wasn't Christmas number one that year, I have no idea. There is no justice. Oh, how didn't that go to the radio play? It's only 40 seconds long. Right. So another one that I enjoy and has, you're pointing a finger at me. No, I was just thinking for an like interstitial or for like a cutaway joke track, at least there's music there and not them just fucking talking. That's true. And I mean, the same cannot be said of Alice in Chains, for example. Or Pearl Jam. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> they have terrible interstitial tracks. I definitely I'm looking at you. Yeah, exactly. So, again, tip of the hat to Tad. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and Tool also, as awesome as Tool are, as much as I love them, they have these unlistenable yeah. segue tracks yeah. that I think are just there to 
piss you off. Yeah, but also to like <laughs> make the album as a whole unplayable on the radio too, you know? You think that's why it is? Okay. I thought it was more just ego in general, not like no, specifically. No, because a. they like forensically dismantle their ego and reassemble it in a post-apocalyptic world in which our minds are uploaded to a computer controlled by Bill Hicks. Oh, I thought it was like Maynard's Vineyard. Oh, there's that as well. So we could be slaves pushing grapes into juice all day, <laughs> which I would do. Uh, Wait, Maynard, I will take a job on your vineyard any day. <laughs> Maynard's, <laughs> Maynard's Vineyard, how that hasn't been a joke tool song yet. Oh, man. Okay, so what did you want to listen to next, then? Uh, the the new Tool album. Oh, that's not coming out now? Uh, it'll be out this year, so they say. Oh, didn't uh, Maynard just, like, say today he deleted everything about <laughs> all of his, uh, all the tweets and all the stuff off the webpage saying that the album's coming out? What? Yeah. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Hey, everybody, this is the Tool Podcast. It didn't, <laughs> didn't sound like it was done. It sounded like they had stopped fucking around. Um, and we're back. Yeah. So, uh, candy. What about candy, David? I like candy. <laughs> I think we all like candy, but it's not good for your teeth. And then you get that sugar high. Just don't go to the low. dentist. Then Just don't go to the dentist. <laughs> you don't get to hear that bad news. <laughs> God damn if that isn't a good song. Yeah, but it has many layers. Like many. it has this really doom uh medley bit. But like there's this other extra layer on the choruses where the guitar kind of like ascends and these little shifts and then it goes back to the doomy bit. It's very cool. It's really sludgy as well. Like yes. it's got that deep super low. sludgy yeah. it's like sabbathy yeah. or like metallica's creeping death in some way like early alice yeah early, early Soundgarden. Too, for sure yeah well, you definitely feel the seattleness of that these guys were all jamming together sort of thing it's weird man and we were talking about the three butch vig records that he did that year probably not the only things he did but these three iconic ones gish Nevermind, and eight way santa they don't really sound alike in any way no uh, okay, it's a long time since I've listened to Gish, and I'm actually kind of curious now. I want to go back and listen to it. But I'd I can kind of hear it. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's closer to this than it is Nevermind. Sure, but he like, he really upped his game for Nevermind, but it's also he brought more... He polished his game for Nevermind, I think. It's polishing where, where it needed it to. Oh, yeah, like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. Because like, Kirk came of... in with a bunch of pop songs. Yeah. You know? And he gave them a pop treatment like these were yeah. a different set of songs to bleach yes like so much of the kind of techniques that if you were only paying attention to Nevermind you might think and if you look at the various YouTube clips and some of the ones that we linked to on the Nevermind episode of Vig's approach to Nevermind with double tracking the vocals and uh, many other techniques there's little of that evident on 8-Way Santa Right. It seems more just raw. It's like they went in studio and just played this shit and he yeah. recorded it. I mean, this sounds like a, more of a Jack and Dino record. Right. Well, and that's who, you know, produced their record yeah. for this. I of, mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. I almost feel like, I, I mean, this is completely just assumption, 
But I feel like Tad knew more what he wanted and got what he wanted out of Butch Vig. Yeah. And then I think about this in terms of Tad as well. If they'd had a different producer at another stage, there's the producer who does what the band wants or not necessarily does what the band wants, but helps the band achieve the thing they said they wanted on the first day. Even if sometimes that goes against maybe what their desires were on the given day's recording. You know, like Kurt not wanting the vocals double-tracked and Nevermind, or not wanting the guitars solos double-tracked and Vig having to go, oh, well, no, this is the way John Lennon did it or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Kurt being like, oh, Yeah, modern music history is riddled with these anecdotes of producers kind of cajoling and tricking people into actually doing their best stuff. And I don't know if Butch Vig got the best stuff out of them on this because like I said earlier it's you didn't push them or not yeah I think so and maybe I don't know if they'd had like a Rick Rubin type character who right. it's always seemed to me or an Albini Albini's only going to record what's going down like, right you know if you didn't come with that then it's gold in gold out with Albini he records right. whatever you're doing he makes it sound great but he expects you to bring the game yeah 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 and right, right. like he'll tell you that it was, I'm just projecting from what well, I think right. I know about it's him. Sort of He'll tell you to record that take again. Right. But he won't go, do you know what? You're shit at writing lyrics. Let's get someone else in to write the lyrics. And there are producers who will do that. Absolutely. When you sing, I'm going to raise hell to the same man comes. When you sing in that voice, it's not as good as when you sing the candy, which is way more menacing than you trying to do like a, a fake James Hetfield. Yeah, that's interesting about Tad's vocals is when he sings this beautiful melodic voice, it is menacing. It's weird. Good weird. And it's much more off the beaten track for metal. And I yeah. think like no disrespect to Tad, like because he's written all of these. So like they're great, great songs. Yeah. But there's just from the vocals and the lyrics, there's something just not hitting the bullseye on them. Right. Well, sort of like that thing um, when uh, Alan Parsons came on to Dark Side of the Moon. Sort of like Roger Waters and David Gilmore and uh, Rich and Nick, they had their idea of what they wanted to do. And Alan Parsons came down and was like, yeah, that's nice, but we got to make this real now and make it have depth. And we got to bring on all these, you know, take these crazy ideas you have and actually turn it into something that people will want to listen to. Yeah. And it takes, like you say, and it takes a producer to actually stand up to the artists and be like, hey, I get your ideas. Let's make it practical and, and let's focus on what's good about your ideas yeah. as opposed to Pink Floyd wanting to make a fucking whole track of just people babbling in Abbey Road Studios and Alan Parsons being like, well, how about I fade that in and out of some of the tracks <laughs> in the background as opposed to make it an entire track. Really? Every other one, you know, well, who knows what was going on in this studio when they were recording this album? No idea. And like, even, you know, we read a couple of books and there's, there's even not that much because Tad didn't make it as big as Nirvana. There's not 50 YouTube videos about how this album right. was recorded. Yeah. And like, there's great stuff in the Mark Yarm book, but it, it's mostly about like having a, a riotous time on tour with Nirvana in Europe or yep. the record studio lawsuit woes. And not the, the record studio, the record label lost. Yeah, you. yeah, and that's the uh, yeah. the documentary that was made about this album is mostly about their fucking lawsuits. Yeah, and trying to set that record straight, which is like, okay, we get it. You're trying to like get your side of the story out so people don't think you're assholes. But I kind of want to know more about the making of the album yeah, than the litigation of the album. I always want to know about that down to yeah. what microphones were used, etc. What guitar right, strings? Yeah, were used. yeah, 
Maybe this would be a really good album for a 33 and a third. Yeah. Some existing, somebody write that 33 and a third. I'll buy that. Yeah, definitely. Also, just before we go on, I want to point out that Butch Vig did more than three albums in 1991. Yeah, go on. Anyway, according to Butch's uh, Wikipedia, 1991, under his produced or co-produced albums, uh, The Fluid, Spot the Loon, God of Revolution, Cosmic Psychos, Blokes You Can Trust, Smashing Pumpkin Skish, Nirvana Nevermind, Tad Eightway Santa, Young Fresh Fellows, Electric Bird Digest, <clears throat> Overwhelming Colorfast, Decroitzen Cement. So apart from Nevermind and Gish and Eightway Santa, you just made up the others, right? Oh yeah, I was just a word salad. You can edit this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, he was so busy. Yeah. I mean, even the year before he did uh, Urge Overkill's album, um, 92... Uh, he was doing Sonic Youth's Dirty, House of Pain, of all things, L7. Uh, Isn't there this weird thing about Butch Vig because... A lot people, of Killdozer. <laughs> a lot of Killdozer. Can we get more Cowbell and more Killdozer? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that people talk about, because if you listen to Bleach versus uh, Nevermind versus In Utero, there's like heavy, poppy, heavy. And so then there's this fallacy out there that Butch Vig brings the pop somehow by that and you're like no, no he's mostly doing like noise bands and post-punk and yeah. grunge and metal anyway yeah. let's uh let's carry on let's get butch on the phone damn it yeah <laughs> butch it's dave again <laughs> how's it in wisconsin i hear it's cold there uh, <laughs> all right i, I want to listen to 3d witch hunt me too and then i want us to get down to the nitty-gritty that sounds like a plan all right confusing that song i know right because it's like friendsidental <laughs> uh single soundtrack screaming trees intro with this very bright electric guitar uh undistorted and then it goes quite sludgy and like the rest of the album for the chorus and then there's that guitar solo the kind of guitar solo that starts off with actually a riff and then goes into a guitar solo that's actually great it's one of the best moments on the whole album yeah is that solo it's got some of his best vocals and some of his best lyrics on the whole thing let's put it on the mixtape it fits in with like <laughs> every does. other track that we've does, had yeah. this will go alongside it really well Huge. if you've just heard it for the first time you might think nah the guys are being a bit hyperbolic about it you'll be singing it tomorrow yeah and you'll be singing it the next day absolutely it's an earworm for sure as well there is a tinge of sort of bittersweetness though because like what could have been yeah i know and this with is that sort of yeah little bit of direction this is also why i love it and we'll get to this in our next episode too i have i'm bringing some more uh bittersweet to the table yeah uh, about what could have been and i do have you a mean bias the smashing pumpkins could have been bigger could have been bigger you know <laughs> 
Billy Corgan, underrated. Yeah. All right. So I think we should argue. Okay. You I, made me go first last time. I was going to argue for Giant Killer, but you kind of like convinced me about 3D Winch Hunt now. And I kind of want 3D that 3D Winch Hunt. Witch Hunt. I can't find your winch. <laughs> no, I was going to argue for Giant Killer, but I really like 3D Witch Hunt now because yeah. I feel like what you just said, it just it flows so well with the other songs from the this time period that we're talking about. Like, I love Jinx. It's an amazing opening to the album. Yeah. And like you said, the first three, four songs are damn near perfect. Yeah. But are they as interesting as 3D Witch Hunt? Also, how cool does 3D Witch Hunt look on like when you write it onto a tape? It does look really good. It's a great name for uh, a song. And yeah. yeah, it reminds me of Monster Magnet, who are another one of my favorite bands who aren't going to turn up on this podcast as much as I want to. I can't cram them into the grunge. Uh, <laughs> they're not. They're from New Jersey. I would have argued for Jinx. Yeah. And I think it's just such a good opening track. Shall we listen to it at least? Yeah. great song isn't it so strong it's another one that's amazing yeah so catchy it's actually really good vocal performance yeah yeah i love the guitar work on this and i think like i know we said like the songs in this that really sound super alice in chains just like this one track it's it's actually track two that sounds like again from like alice in chains do that like years later and i think tool borrowed something of this because tool's first ep didn't come out till 92 you hear that maynard yeah you're listening (laughs) I'm looking more at Adam Jones than Maynard because there's not yeah, really enough. much of a vocal uh, similarity in a good way. I like this because it reminds me of so many other bands that I love, yeah. like Therapy that I mentioned earlier, a little bit to Tool, Soundgarden, yep. Curb Dog, another Irish band that have a, a similar vibe. Yeah. Out of your mind. You are. Such a good song. So what are we going to do? It's a bit of a I dilemma. Like, that's the thing, man. Like, put them both on at this point. Well, we're not going to do that. Though, I right? know. We're not going to do that. We got to pick one. Okay, I'll say this for 3D Witch Hunt. I feel like that song is a little more unique, yet fits better in the flow. It's more unique for a Tad song. It has a great name that will look great on a box. Um, but also, there's more going on in 3D Witch Hunt, I feel, than... Jinx is just a straight up fucking amazing metal song that hits the every mark perfectly. But it still perfectly. has an element of punk to it. There's yeah, some kind of mud honeyness to it in a way. Yeah, a little Melvinsy. Yeah. Without the cynicism. Yeah. For yeah. a song about bad luck, it's not so cynical. Right. It's just fucking fun to listen to. Yeah. The question is, which fits better on the mixtape? How about this? We've never done this before. How about we just hold in reserve until the track listing? episode ah no we can't do that to the listeners man we can't why not we fuck them <laughs> no we gotta choose one man we we gotta we can't i really don't think they care that much 
Like, I can throw my weight behind Jinx just because it's, I fucking will take either one and be happy. <laughs> yeah, but then when it turns out when we're doing the track listing and we kind of go, wouldn't it be nice if we had a song that was really like, out of your mind, you are, at this point, or if we had one that was like, don't need your anger on my but, hands. But we can always, like when we're doing the track listing, we can always bring something back to round things out. But we're so close to that point that like, why decide and then come back to it then in a short space of time? No cliffhangers, Dave. Why not? Maybe. <laughs> a cliffhanger Zach maybe so, one cliffhanger no I want to tune in next week next week next week oh uh, no I think we should pick Jinx I think it should be Jinx because it's harder a bit more fun <laughs> and it just starts off so strong yeah it does it's like this was my intention was to argue for Jinx right but and I'm agreeing with you I, you're, you're winning Dave and you're refusing to take the win <laughs> I just you know like there's no there's oh how no... about this we're picking Jinx but we'll put 3D Witch Hunt in reserve in case we want to bring it back when we're doing our track listing. I think we won't do that. It's no. gone forever. Yeah, because there's other things. Uh, like, I still want to maybe like sneak in, in Bloom. the Battle of Evermore from that time that Mark Yarm no. dissed me. <laughs> That's going on. You wouldn't even notice I'm putting that on there. Is that going to be on, like, the secret track at the end after, yeah. like, 30 minutes of silence? Oh, the Battle of Evermore comes on. Great idea. Only what I've I'm created doing. a monster. You gotta listen to 30 minutes of silence on a cassette tape, and you'll great. get a... Wonderful heart cover of Led John Zeppelin. John Cage mixtape plus Battle of Evermore. <laughs> so we're picking Jinx, yeah? That was a very kind of surreptitious way of getting me to agree to picking Jinx. I'm happy for that song to be on the mixtape. So we're tape. going with my pick this time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I love 3D Wish, don't get me wrong, but I could almost see a song like Jinx opening the mixtape. Because it's such a big, just fun way to start. I think if it did, no one would know what the mixtape was. Perfect. It could be like the first track of Side 2 or something like that. You know, where it's like you're, you're already in for it. You know what's going on. And it's sort of like, oh, this is something different. I don't know. We'll worry about track listings <laughs> when we get to track listings. Anyway, but Jinx, Tad. That's it. I don't get any to argue anymore. It's Jinx, Tad. Yes. Okay, fine. Go with my pick then. Fine. <laughs> So what are we doing next week, David? Next week is going to be interesting. This was our last album album. So really, uh, I wasn't lying when I said that the finish line was in sight, which I didn't actually say. And so the next one we're going to do is we're going to have a guest, but we'll each bring a few tracks that are from bands that weren't from Seattle or the Pacific Northwest. They weren't from Washington or Portland either. Aberdeen. Or Aberdeen or Tacoma or Olympia. But they were definitely part of a sound or the sound. People can expect, I imagine, uh, maybe... This is all jokes, people. Maybe the Stone Temple Pilots, maybe Smashing Pumpkins. Maybe uh, L7. Maybe L7, maybe Silverchair from Australia. Right. Well, the point being is there'll be bands that aren't from the Washington scene, but... Mm are still part of it. So, I mean, there are plenty of bands in Chicago and L.A. and Australia, Ireland, England, all over the world who were part of this movement who weren't necessarily from Seattle. Yeah. And a lot of people like to say they're writing coattails of bullshit. Fuck that. These people all were coming up at the same time from the 80s into the 90s. For any of the bands that we're going to bring to the table, coattails were not involved. No. And it's sort of bands that we wish we could have talked about the albums. Yeah. But because they weren't from Seattle and we wanted to focus on this because it's called My Seattle Mixtape. Yeah, yeah. Bad title. It should have been Mike Runge Mixtape and that would have been fine. 
but yeah, I mean, that's so that's what we're going to be doing uh, next week. And we'll have a guest on with that who will also bring a few tracks of their own to mix things up a little bit. That'd be fun. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. And so the format will be a little different because we'll just be going through the tracks, talking yeah. about those bands, why we love them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so stay tuned. I guess that's our kind of cliffhanger. All right. Well, that was our eight-way Santa by Tad episode of my Seattle mixtape. My Seattle mixtape is edited by Adrian Shepard. If you've been enjoying the podcast and feel like you want to maybe, I don't know, buy us a beer or contribute to our record collection, you could leave us a tip in our PayPal tip jar, which you can find on the podcast website, which is mymixtape.rocks. Our website has extra links and extra notes and the odd tidbit and also while you're there if you decided that you know I want to give these guys some more money you could become a Patreon subscriber to help produce the show or just like line our pockets <laughs> I know you know and that will just actually help us keep the show on the road keep the lights turned on and keep the fridge stocked thanks for listening we'll be back next week goodbye everybody giant killer giant killer